This is Nate Dodson, and you're tuning into And This Is Why, the podcast show. A show where we help you take your business to the next level. New episodes every week streaming on your favorite streaming platforms. Enjoy today's episodes. Hey guys, today I'm bringing in to talk to really an amazing real estate fund manager. He's been working with the $5 million fund, looking to expand it. So he's kind of the guy that has been in there, started running forward, acquiring properties and making things happen. So I'm here to introduce you to Joseph Kimbrough, who's out here. He tells us a little bit about what he's doing, how he's doing it, and how you can learn how to make millions yourself as well. So kicking off, Joseph, awesome to, to meet you. Uh, well, awesome to actually meet you in person. In person, yeah. Like, we've known each other for like a, a year almost now. At, at least that. Yeah. But let me ask you another kind of off-the-wall question. And, you know, you're in real estate. You got some some interesting background as well as interests. If you had to recommend to somebody that says, you know what, I'm just impressed with what you've accomplished. What book has really influenced you? What would you recommend? The book that I love the most is, well, there's two really. So there's How to Be Rich by J. Paul Getty. One of my favorite people, because he goes into taking care of you, the people that work under you. Yeah. Really making sure that you do well as a business person because you have all these here families underneath you that's literally dependent on, on your business to feed their families. So that's very important. And so he goes in depth with that within this book. And then the other book is The Almanac of Naval Ravikant. And he talks about equity. And when I was in single family real estate, I did not build equity. I was just out there selling deals as an investor, selling them, selling them, selling them. And like, yeah, I made 10000 Yeah, I made 15000 throwing checks on social media. And I thought, oh, I'm this cool guy. And then I'm like, wait a minute. I don't own anything. Do I plan on doing this at 80 years old, cold calling? <laughs> so no. Like, I was like, no. So I need to figure something out. And that's how I ended up finding multifamily. Nice. So just to, to focus on, you know, you call it, you, we call it wholesaling or bird dogging, really kind of yep. finding and selling the opportunities. Uh, I, I totally recommend that to people all the time that are interested in real estate, yep. but don't already have a net worth. Don't already have that piggy bank. Exactly. It, That's a great way to get started. But why I tell people is don't get comfortable in it. Use it as a launch pad, not a landing zone. Awesome advice. So how long did you do the, the wholesaling before you got into multifamily? I did it for three years. Awesome. Uh, were, did you get outside of kind of your general area or were you cold calling where you could actually go to the properties, help make it happen? In the beginning, I did a lot of cold calling where it was in the DFW area. So Fort Worth was the furthest drive. And then I scaled out to where I started wholesaling properties in Houston. Then I started wholesaling not just properties, but land and mobile homes as well. And then I started looking at where well, you could wholesale an apartment building. But then that's why, that's why I cut it off. I was like, look, if I wholesale this apartment building instead of acquiring it, I'm not, that doesn't benefit me any. <laughs> so I kept it at land, houses, and mobile homes. I think that's one of the best pieces of advice and, you know, 
I call that a transactional business. Yes. You're either making deals to bring in the revenue or you don't have a business. Exactly. Way different than what you're doing now with the fund in terms of looking for profits, building that equity, creating legacy wealth. Yep. So in, in the fund that you're doing, it's called Apex Holding, or Apex REOF. Yes, what Apex REOF1. Apex Real Estate Opportunity Fund 1. I love it. But as far as on social, you'll see Apex Real Estate Investments. <laughs> That's the brand. Yep. I, have you always operated under the same brand or have you just kind of evolved over time? I say it kind of evolved, but really just the last part of it. I started off like my, my single family business was Apex Real Estate Investing with a G. And then when I started this, I was like, changed to Apex Real Estate Investments. So it's not, I wasn't like this super, oh, yeah, this rebrand. It's the same thing. Different logo. Well, congrats getting it moving forward, getting it funded, already thinking about expansion. Absolutely love to see people as their businesses grow and expand. You know, I, I know you picked up uh, one property out there in uh, in the eastern United States. You want to talk about it at all? Yes, in uh, Charleston, South Carolina. It's uh, 160 units. Uh, we ended up paying, think, well, like $28 million for that property. Nice. Raised $11 million, uh, to acquire the property. So that's going to be great. It's going to deliver great returns to our investors over the next six years. Love it. And because you're doing a fund, anybody else that comes into your fund, they're actually buying into that too, as well as anything else that you're doing as well, right? Exactly. They benefit from that property. They also benefit from the property in Phoenix. They benefit from any property that we bring into the fund. I'm looking at something in Grand Prairie right now. They'll benefit from that as well. Well, I can tell you a little secret. It's not really known out there, but uh, another larger group of multifamily are, ha are kind of struggling in the DFW and they're just liquidating everything. But I'll tell you that they're having problems because their business relied on transactional business. They were basically wholesalers because they didn't keep any of the profits. But now that it's tougher to get the multifamily deals done, they're out there. You're finding them. Yep. But you got to make sure that you're building that equity. Exactly. And I've seen a, a uptick in assumption of loans as well. Like people assuming loans at less than 3%. I'm like, wow, can't say no to this. <laughs> Let me figure this out. Let me, I'll bring some equity to that. There you go. It's the only way to get a gun right now. Uh, last year, crowdfunding lawyers, my, my law firm closed 217 multifamily this year. I mean, it's, it's pretty ugly just because, I mean, we couldn't close anything for the first three months. And that was because the lenders retrading in terms, yep. they learned something though. That's when all the assumptions started coming into play. And even the banks that were like, okay, we know you want to sell it, but you can't sell it. We'll actually work with you in helping assign and transfer the loans now, creating now all of a sudden the opportunities are out there again. Yep, exactly. So tell me a little bit about, uh, you know, how do you go through evaluating a property if you're going to take a piece or the whole for your fund? So me personally, I look at it, I put it through a, what do you call those things? Those calculator things. I forget what you pro call them. Yeah, pro forma. But like I have like a little calculator, put everything out, see how the numbers turn out. 
<clears throat> and see how that would benefit my investors. And if the numbers come out well, then that's that's one criteria to invest in it. Also, is it going to be over a hundred units? If they're telling me it's less than a hundred, then that's already it's already disqualified. And then also, I look at what is the preferred return, or do you have like a a, a downside performance protection hurdle or something in place? to lock in some type of profit for the investors so they so I can let them know, hey, look, you at least will get this amount. So that's why I look at investors first. Exactly. So I'm always thinking about my investors. How are they going to win long term if the worst case scenario happened? I love it. In terms of kind of keeping your investors up to date, like are you sending out updates and reports and how's that come along? Yes, so we send out monthly reports, uh, detail. It might be a hundred pages, two hundred pages, with a summary to summarize it. And <laughs> <laughs> they're they're not a they're not attorneys or accountants. They do not want to read through all that paperwork. So for your investors, I mean, it, it sounds like complete transparency. Here's not just the summary, but here's all the data as well. Yep, exactly. They know anything that goes on with the property. If a car ran into a unit, they know that too. All right. So, you know, this has been kind of a tougher environment to find deals. I'm glad you're you're finding the loan assumptions and they're totally out there. That's most of what we see. Crystal ball time. Looking into the future, what do you see happening in multifamily? I see a lot more of these here loan assumption opportunities happening. And naturally, investors are going to see these as these deals start populating more and they're looking at this and more capital will pour in. It's uh, one thing that I'm totally experiencing is people have been afraid because of the high interest rates. Yep. But what they're not really realizing is there's still opportunities that don't even rely on that high interest rate. Exactly. It's just like in in single family, I learned something called seller financing, owner financing, or sub two, for example. Mm-hmm. That same thing can be applied to multifamily because it's still real estate. And that's exactly what a loan assumption is. I love it. Just bigger, better deal. Exactly. No longer the 10 grand at a time. (laughs) Yep, 10 grand nickel and dime. (laughs) I'm trying to take a lion out now. (laughs) Hippo. There you go. (laughs) You know, talking about the lion and the hippos, uh, I was actually in San Diego just this past weekend with my little 10 year old daughter. And we went to the wild animal park and we ran all around and saw the lions, the hippos and everything else. And it was, uh, we went on this tram around, it was the African savannah and just knowing that you're, you're really into, you know, traveling and being East Africa. It was amazing. Like you see the uh, rhinos out there with the giraffes out there with all the different deers and yeah, horns and everything else going. Nothing on. that can hunt them. Not, the the lions were in a different, different. Exactly. <laughs> the lions were over here. The tigers were over there. But all the friendly animals were like together. Yeah. It was such an amazing experience. When you go to East Africa, like, what do you spend your time doing? Are you focused in the metropolitan in the cities, or do you get out there to the safaris as well? So actually, I've done a safari, and we did what's called glamping, where you go out there, but you had the nicer tents and stuff. And I always has to tell this a joke. I was like, I told the guy, I said, I was in the Marine Corps. I do not want to feel like I'm on a military op on vacation. 
make sure it's it's something nice that we're doing. No tents with snakes and stuff. <laughs> so that's why he so he so he told us about glamping. So we did that, but nah, like out there, like a cheetah jumped in the car with us. A oh, I'm waiting for the punchline because this is yeah, we, I, t- I took selfies with the cheetah. Wow. Yep. And then he looked at you like your your dinner. Exactly. Like took selfies with the cheetah. Uh, watched him kill a gazelle, the mother cheetah kill a gazelle, and choke it out, and then call her cubs, and they all ate it real quick before the lions could come. I looked at a lion, I looked at a fully male lion, face, like, right in his eyes, and he deferred. Like, you you looked, stared down that lion? Yeah, like, stared, stared down the lion, looked him in the eyes, he deferred. I was like, man, this is... It's wild. That sounds wild. Hippo pool. Like, we actually sat in the car, like, right in front of the hippo pool. I've literally gotten out, peed in the middle of the Serengeti twice, marked my territory. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I was like, and I was, I was, this has to be the most alpha thing you can do. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, that's, brave what you're doing investing you being your own entrepreneur being your own boss brave i know you were in the military kind of at the early in your career i'm guessing that came from the military but kind of what personality characteristics or what did you take away from the military that you've really been able to apply to life and business i would say in the marine corps to the main thing that you learn is you have to face your fears. You can't, just because you have a fear of something doesn't mean you don't try to do it. And so one of the things when you're going through boot camp is you're conquering those fears. When I enjoyed, I didn't know how to swim. I forgot that you needed to know how to swim to be a part of the Marine Corps. Marine, then, swim. Marine amphibious, I'm going to have to swim. Like, I don't know why it didn't dawn on me. <laughs> anyway, so I figured it out. Like, I had to jump into, like, some water. I figured out how to swim, passed it, made it through boot camp. But, yes, a lot of that mindset comes from the Marine Corps, just facing your fears, conquering your fears. Owning the Serengeti. Exactly. <laughs> so the Serengeti, I was like, worst-case scenario, there's, like, what if a lion attacks you? I was like, hand me a knife and a shield. I was like, I'll figure something out. <laughs> One or two things are going to happen. If I live, I can come back here to the U.S., might have a little scar or something, but hey. <laughs> That's a lot, way better answer than mine. All I need is a 22. Oh, my God. I need to be the fastest. I just need to be faster than you. And right now, I couldn't beat you. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. I met some people that do fight lions in um, in. No, yeah, the Maasai, like, they are a different kind of people. Very strong people, and they, yeah. Bravery. Bravery. Well, you're you're selling me on East Africa. However, I don't think I will be owning any part of it or <laughs> wrestling. <laughs> no, I didn't do any of that. They they kept me away from it. They like, who is this? He's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Bring me the football bats. I'm good. Yeah, football. Football is much better. I'll take that any day. 
I love it. So your goal is really to be able to to help your investors, you know, building a fund to really hit that the goals that you have of living life to its fullest. What does that look like for you? Living life to its fullest? Yeah. I would say traveling, spending more time in different parts of the world. I have a goal where I actually want to go to all 53 countries in Africa. Now, granted, due to wars in some areas, that's not possible, but I can at least maximize the places that you can go there. Absolutely love it. You know, it, it's in real estate, it's not always just about the money. Like, you're actually improving the community. You're doing capital improvements with the, the multifamily properties. Can you tell a little bit of kind of your experience and what's going on with some of the properties that you're involved with? Like, you buy in, are they just cash flow and they're, they're done or are there a lot of improvements that are happening? I would say a lot of improvements are happening, especially with the one in Charleston. A lot of improvements are happening and that one will be cash flowing soon. And when you say improvements, could you give a little deeper? Like, are we just talking about improving the, the inside units? And if so, what does that look like? Or operations, management, units, the whole picture, really. Got it. So basically just taking out that shine and making it all that much better. Exactly. I absolutely love it. So in terms of uh, what you're targeting and doing, do you have a master plan with where you want to grow to how many properties that you're expecting to, to own or have an interest in with your fund over the next five, seven years? Yes, so... My plan is to work with the top operators and the top sponsor groups in the business and provide equity to their deals. So, you know, like the, well, I'm not going to say names, but a lot of them that are top in the industry to work with them and have their properties a part of my fund, which is very beneficial for our investors. So, for example, I like to think of it this way. If you're going to put together a team, you can have, the Lakers with just LeBron and AD, or you can get LeBron, Michael Jordan, Anthony Davis, Magic Johnson, put everybody together. That's essentially what I'm doing with the fund. Get the best people, bring it all together into one fund. My investors win. So really you're taking an approach that it's not just your abilities to exactly. identify, to manage, to acquire. You're bringing in the best, the brightest, the most experienced and joint venturing with them, partnering with them to make these things happen. Exactly. So I like to think of it more collaboration than competition. You go a whole lot further when you collaborate with people versus trying to compete with them. And I think that that's such a really important thing for just people to understand. Like you've got five plus years already in real estate but to grow, to expand, to accomplish all that you want to, it is all about bringing in those teammates, those quality yep. partners. Exactly. So when, you, when you're evaluating a, a partnership or, or an opportunity with somebody, you know, thought process, what are you considering or thinking about or reviewing? What's your due diligence look like? Well, the first thing for me is, are they ethical? That's the number one thing. Are you going to... Because you can have all the track record, but if you make a mistake that goes downhill, that reflects on me. 
because my investors will come talk to me. They're not going to talk to you. They will sue me. They're not going to sue you. So that's the one thing. That's the first thing I look at. Number one. Number one. Then I look at track record. How many years have they been doing this? How many units have they went full cycle with? Uh, do they have anything else? Are they a part of any type of organizations that make them stand out further? Um, like, I'm looking at people who they might be on Inc. 5000. That's a great, something like that. And they can brand that, put that out there for people. It's fact-checked, it's real. That's very beneficial. It makes it look even more impressive to my investors. Wait, he's working with such and such? I think you brought up uh, a key term, fact-check. Yes. Don't trust people on their word. Exactly. Actually, can you look them up? Can you do a little search? Can you figure out, are they telling you the truth? Exactly. Look at their social medias, see who they follow, different things. <laughs> I love it. I'd, I'd actually recommend uh, one more step, and I assume you're already doing this, but like when we put together any sort of fund or any sort of deal, I mean, we, we did it with you as well. We run background reports. Oh, yes. Background report. Forgot that. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> you see any lawsuits that have happened, any criminal issues that have happened. I even know what cars you've had in the past, <laughs> what real estate you've closed on in the past. But getting that is just, hey, this guy has done 100 million, 200 million in deals, but he's still living in the uh, double wide trailer. Yeah, no. Yeah, like it's, it's those types of things that, like, you got to look past whatever they say and dig a little bit deeper. Fact check. Fact check. Yep. So I, I totally love it. Uh, with your fund, is there anything that you'd like to share with the listeners or, you know, give us your pitch? I want to hear it. Oh, yes. So, like I tell people all the time, you can have all the benefits of a landlord, but none of the headaches by investing in my fund. Just that simple. Just that simple. So, and, and I do want to mention, you know, being the attorney that I am, it is a accredited only opportunity. Every investor does have to verify that they're accredited. But, hey, you want to invest? No problem. As long as you're accredited, you can exactly. invest too. Hey, guys, thanks for taking a little bit of time to meet Joseph Kimbrough, hear a little bit about what he's doing, where he's come from, and how he took over the Serengeti. So, you know, it, it's really about mindset at the end of the day. And here's an amazing example of a guy that, you know, fought through uh, the difficulties, learning bravery, growing up in, in Texas, and making amazing things happen, acquiring multifamily across the country. Thank you so much for learning more. And, you know, and this is why we do it every day.